Welcome to Bear Books Podcast. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. This is the podcast that introduces indie authors to their readers. Together, we're looking for our next favourite author. So then, what do you think about this week's book? Well, actually, I am utterly besotted and in love with... What, with the book or something with, else? With the, with the book, with the with book. The book. If you can right. fall in love with a style of writing, then that's where my little heart is at right at this moment in time. From the very first chapter, it's captivating, it's wicked, it's dark, it's delicious, it's funny, it's quirky. This is the sort of book that makes doing an indie author podcast absolutely delightful. I can't think of any better subject that we could do on a podcast. Blimey, you are waxing lyrical on this one, aren't you? I know, right? <laughs> right, then let's have a little bit of, a, of an overview of what it's about. Alfred Jones and Son Brothers, travelling undertakers and soul traders. So after 600 years, this can become quite wearing. The day young Alfred's father signed the contract with the smiling stranger was the day his existence changed forever. Endowed with a particular shoddy form of immortality, he is condemned to pursue a never-ending quest to gather the souls of the recently deceased. Now times are tough. A 600-year-old caravan is no place for the modern world, and souls are a rare commodity, their very existence dangling on the thinnest of threads. Things could not get any worse, or so young Alfred thought. The night he failed to save Amy was a life-changing one, and he hadn't had one of them for six centuries. Amy also considered it life-altering and demanded young Alfred do something about it. Pursued by a veteran policeman and his hapless sidekick and a mysterious auditor, young Alfred is forced into a journey of discovery as he confronts the modern world and all its pitfalls. A journey watched closely by a dead scientist with a grudge to bear and relentlessly stalked by a platoon of ghostly cavalry. And then there was the day job. Souls needed gathering, the quota must be met, or the consequences. Well, young Alfred didn't even want to think about that. And to top it all off, there was always his father's boundless stupidity. Old Alfred. Oh my goodness. Talk about a character. Little bit sort of, I don't know, steptoe and sunnish, if you like. Old Alfred has got the most, well, in my head from reading Bob's words. He's got the most weird-looking face, sort of like a gargoyle with big ears and huge nostrils, and it's just a weird-shaped little man. Yeah, what I couldn't understand is, could these people not be seen by the bods that were wandering around doing the day-to-day business? What, live people, you mean? Yes. I don't actually know. I know, I was asking myself kind of sort of questions about that. Is, is you know, how did these people go around and get away with it and, and hide? And the 600-year-old caravan. You I'm know, wondering would... if people that were close to death only saw them. I don't know that Like if you're in, driving along in the car on the motorway and you're about to crash and your death is imminent and there is nothing you can do to change it, maybe then you could see the caravan at the side of the road with the Joneses in it. Yeah, because you wouldn't fancy travelling up the M1, would you, and then overtaking that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm amazed in 600 years they never thought to update it. Well, yeah, me too. Anyway, are we going to hear from Bob now then? Oh, we are. Absolutely cannot wait. Hiya, Bob, and welcome to a Bear Books podcast. And we'd love you to introduce yourself, a little bit about you personally as a writer, whatever you want to share with us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's really appreciated. Uh, I, I do love the show. 
I currently live in Spain where I'm hoping to uh, scrape a living as a writer. Uh, so Alfred, the, the book that you've read, is my, my first novel. It's a long story getting there, which we may or may not cover in the, in the course of the interview. But yeah, no, things are going well. I love life in Spain. Yeah, it's all good. It's all Excellent. Good. Um, I've lived most of my life in Scotland, so... Yeah, the the funny thing is, I miss the lack of rain. <laughs> if it rains, a tear. Way in Scotland, what? if it's sunny, a tear. <laughs> Did I hear that right? You miss the yeah. lack of rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, honestly, I do. There, there are some days when you think, I wish it would just do something a bit different. Just rain, please. Yeah, and now and again, it obliges. I so, love it. That's brilliant. Yeah. You do have a wonderful natural rhetoric, Bob. I absolutely love this book. It reminds me of the Irish. All of my family is Irish. They've got an absolute gift for storytelling, as have you. So not many Good. writers could combine someone that's got 600 years of death and soul collecting and mix that same person as an innocent <laughs> yeah. and so naive and it just and still make it believable. how do you do that I kind of struggle with (laughs) you know this is a funny thing I've been asked a lot uh, uh, I always thought that there was something there I always thought there was a story there and perhaps I had some kind of talent but when when you're writing you're only really showing it to friends and and uh, you know people that and and you've got to take what they say with a pinch of salt you know I, I said to them be brutally honest but you always think, actually, they're friends. They're not going to tell me the truth. But when I went out and people started reacting to it, I got a lot of questions about the characters. It, it surprised me, actually, how, how good the reaction's been to the book. And the characters kind of built over drafts. When I looked at the first draft of this book, I thought, you know, there, there's just something missing from from young Alfred in particular, who I thought just came out a bit bland. I need to give him something. So I'd always had him this naive way, but I, when it came to sort of the second draft, I thought I need to give him something. So what I wanted to create was somebody that was really comfortable and thrived within his own bubble which was a very, very tight bubble. But the moment he stepped outside that bubble, he was he was lost. Uh, so I wanted to give him this sort of cynicism within the bubble, but this absolute innocence out with the bubble. And actually, if you treat it as two different stories, it's quite easy to do, which I think is probably how I approached it. So there was this Alfred within the bubble and Alfred without the bubble. And it was almost like writing two different characters. Okay, yeah, I can see where you're coming from there. And I've also had a little bit of a nosy about you online as well. And you do other types of writing. What made you want to step outside of that and write a novel? You know, the idea for the novel and what sort of drove the idea behind Alfred was is really a story of my writing journey in its own right. I, up until, I'm going to say four years but in all honesty, it could be five years <laughs> uh, that I started Alfred. It, it took a long... I, I was never a prolific writer. Way, way, way back in a distant past. In fact, before Windows 95, I'm an IT technician, so I, I remember years and versions of Windows. So it was in Windows 3.1 days. <laughs> uh, I wrote a short story 
called The Fat Man. And it was a kind of horror story. And I showed it to a few friends and they said, oh, that's really good. And I thought, maybe I've got talent here. Maybe I should do something about it. But I didn't (laughs) for uh, probably 20 years. And then one day I, I decided I was going to sit down and write a book. And I started and I wrote a chapter and I thought, actually, I've got no idea how to write a book. So I decided that to learn how to write a book, I was going to write The Fat Man to write it into a book. And I was in the process of writing that when this sign on a road just triggered this thought pattern that became Alfred Jones. It just There was a sign that pointed into the forest on a dark, stormy night that just said Jones Brothers. And I thought, oh, who would follow that sign? And then I started to think, who are the Jones Brothers? And by the time I'd got home, which was only 10 miles away, this idea had triggered so I put the lessons I'd learned from trying to write the, the first novel to what I'd learned in The Fat Man, and I started writing Alfred. Yeah, the, the rest, as they say, is history. The genre I write, I don't seem to have any control of. It just seems to be what comes out. I don't think I could force myself to write a standard mystery fiction or a detective fiction. I just don't think my style would work with that. That's quite interesting, actually, Bob, because, you know, of all the styles or the, the, the genres that you could write, so you've told us what inspired this one, a sign, a dark forest, a dark night. Do you have a natural funny bone or are you drawn to the paranormal and the quirky? The, the paranormal and the quirky, uh, what I do, like, and I, I, I will admit, part of the driving force is the lack of uh, research that you have to do, which sounds terrible. But if you're writing a paranormal book or some kind of fantasy or horror, you can make things up, you know, and you think, well, okay, might not have happened, but I'll just make it up. So the quirky, I think, is just part of my style. The comedy, I can't write anything straight, even if I try to write something that's really dark. There's part of my brain that always puts some comedy, some sarcasm, some dry humour in it somewhere. And the genre, you know, just seems to follow. You know, I'm certainly never going to write detective fiction uh, (laughs) and I'm certainly never going to write romance. So I can see old Alfred in my head and he is one grotesque individual, I have to say. (laughs) Totally gross. But he's also likeable, which is quite strange. And I got a definite hint of Steptoe and Son in old Alfred and young Alfred. But that could just be my age showing. Is he specific person inspired, do you think, or is he purely from your imagination? Old Alfred is really purely from my imagination. But there's been a couple of reviews that have actually mentioned Steptoe and Son, and a couple of people have mentioned it to me in comments. And with hindsight, I really see that. Uh, one review in particular has said that it's like if Terry Pratchett had wrote uh, an episode of Steptone Son. But old Alfred, no, old Alfred has pure imagination, I'm afraid, <laughs> which, <laughs> which doesn't say a lot for my imagination. I wanted to create just this grumpy old git, and I wanted him to be a result of inbreeding, you know, a real true yeah. sort of... a. Uh, I didn't really intend him at the start to become quite as stupid and quite as <laughs> uh, yeah, quite as unfortunate as he was. But in the end, what he became, because there are elements of horror to the book, 
or at least, uh, yeah, sort of bordering on it. And with old Alfred, I could almost kind of introduce a, a cartoon level of violence. Yeah. You know, you could kill him many times in the book, and I did. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was nothing because he just bounced back, and he bounced back the exact same person with the exact same grumps, and, he, you know, he's a grumpy yeah. sort. You kind of sort of took things that were pure and cute and turned them into a nightmare, Bob. You know, what, what inspired such a thought? Because babies are meant to be cute, aren't they? So, you know, who knew dolls, the colour white and baby rattles could be so damn terrifying? Yeah. Why? It's, the first draft of the book didn't have any of that whole sequence in. And I kind of struggled. as one of these things that I discovered as I went through the writing process that I'd got this end and I wanted young Alfred. Well, we know what happens to young Alfred at the end. I won't give too much away. Mm. But I wanted him, uh, I had this scenario where him and Amy kind of got together and it never really worked. And I wasn't really sure what to do about it. So when I was writing the second draft, I, I was going over in my head what, you know, what holes are there in this story? Well, people get asked the question, do you want to go to heaven or hell? And they all answer heaven, and that's it. That's that's why they got uh, soul traders. But I thought, what if you asked that question? And you don't know. You know what would you do? And then I kind of placed that together with this other spirit realm that I'd created, and thought maybe that's why that was created. So then I started to think, you know, what kind of life would these children have? You know, they they were children. They had no life experience. They'd know nothing. So that's when I thought, well, actually, with that sort of innocence of mind, you could make them this sort of malevolent creature that's, that kind of thinks himself above the, you know, the adults. And that just kind of, I liked that thought. So I suddenly had this sort of world that I could create that I could stick the two of them in and that would fill this gap that I had at the towards the end of the book. And actually, I liked the idea so much that, when the new Alfred comes out, they are highly incorporated into the story. Uh, I, I just like this kind of juxtaposition, I suppose. Just this. They were cuteness. fierce, those babies. I mean, they were tiny, and and I remember Amy being, oh, how adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and they were just evil. <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't allow Alfred to speak, and you get this little baby fist in the mouth. It's like, do not speak. <laughs> Which yeah. was so funny. <laughs> And then they were like, all this talcum powder and the smell of babies, which is so adorable, ended up being all cloying and horrible. And I don't want to give lots away, but I just thought yeah. it was so inventive to take something that is so pure and twist it completely. And the dolls, <laughs> you were spot on with the dolls, the way the eyes follow you. The way you write is amazing for me. You never use one descriptive when you can use three or four. You wax lyrical and make sure that every possible aspect of every point is in your reader's head. It's my favourite flavour to your style of writing, that and the genuine laugh-out-loud moments, of which there were many. And of old Alfred, who made me go, ew, now and again, because he really is gross. Which do you think is more important? Do you want to be a storyteller? Or is it that you want to evoke emotion? Are they two separate things? I'm not convinced that, at least in my case, they're two separate things. Uh, I've been 
wondering myself. I mean, the, the, my writing style, when I started writing, I thought, how do you get a style? How do you do I copy somebody else's style? Do I do it like that? Do I do it like this? In the end, I just let myself write, really, uh, and just seen what came out. I would like to think that it might not always be the right emotion, but I do evoke emotions with my writing. I, that, I would like to think that any good writer, you know, that's that's part and parcel of it, is you, you are playing with people's emotions. That's what you're aiming for. If a book's just flat without emotion, it might as well be a textbook. You know, it might as well be a physics book. Yeah, good uh, point. Yeah, I would like to think that any good book, certainly any book that I do, it will evoke some form of emotion or another. Whether it's you know, laughter is my favourite one. Obviously, I, I would prefer to read a comedy. In saying that, you know, one of my all-time favourite books is 1984. So perhaps there's a kind of merging there of George Orwell and that that kind of darkness, but including a bit of comedy in it. But I would never be presumptuous enough to compare myself to George Orwell. That's certainly not what I'm saying here. But that kind of dark book also attracts me as well as comedy. And perhaps I'm trying to combine the two. As I say, I don't really look too closely at my genre or what I'm writing or whatever. It's just... Your natural state of what you want to write, really. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, just want to talk about Mar for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I love Mar Jones. I love that she's been knitting this same wool incessantly for like six hundred years. Yeah, what is me? What is me that is not frayed away though? <laughs> How has it not rotted over six hundred yeah, years? Yeah, yeah, And who wouldn't uh, want to kill off the menfolk periodically for a bit of peace and quiet, especially as they're none the wiser? Yeah, these are, <laughs> these are like two quite out there ideas in her character so do you see her as a homely type despite yeah these absolutely traits? i see ma jones as a matriarch i see her really as the real power behind the family and it kind of had things work differently and old alfred had never signed this contract then you know she, she was the real boss but that kind of took her life away from underneath her she she suddenly got condemned to this existence that really I, I kind of always thought of her as, as somebody whose circumstances because she felt she had to uh, as opposed to somebody that was pleased with her circumstances but yeah. she had this motherly matriarch thing she obviously has a is very fond of young Alfred uh, perhaps not so, not so fond of old Alfred uh, no. and uh, yeah. Let's not tell everybody what she does with that knitting needle. Yeah, <laughs> I like the knitting needle. I had that in my head a long time before I wrote it, and I knew exactly where it was going to go. <laughs> and when I got down to writing that, I sat down and thought, right, here we go, here we go. I've been looking forward to this. And could I write it? No, I just couldn't get it. Because in your head, it's this magical scene. But when you try to put a magical scene and get a magical scene in words, it's very often quite difficult. Yeah, uh, but that one ultimately, I, I I really liked that scene. I have to be honest. I just I had that in my head for so long. But no, Ma Jones, and then I, I give her that kind of twist at the end, which kind of came as a surprise to me as well. I hadn't really considered writing that until I just thought, you know. And, and very often that's how the writing process goes: is 
you discover things about your own characters as you go along and you, mm. you can build on them. It goes back to my first draft. My first draft, I thought Mad Jones and young Alfred hadn't really worked very well. So I wanted to give them both this extra edge in the second draft. And I think it worked. Yeah, yeah, it did work. Well, it worked for me as a reader. So we can see more books then with Bob Sharp on the cover as the author in time to come. Absolutely. I'm taking, I freely admit that this is just a, a kind of cheat, but it's something I've really enjoyed doing for the writing process is that at some point, now I'm not going to put a date on it for sure, uh, but certainly by the end of November, there will be another anthology of short stories coming out, which are, would you believe, quirky, dark and humorous? <laughs> uh, Why am I not shocked? shocked. <laughs> now, there was a couple of reasons for that. Alfred had taken so long that really... It had always been one story I'd been working on. I hadn't really had to, whatever I was thinking about writing-wise was always this one story, this one scenario. So I hadn't really been expanding into other things. I had other ideas in my head, but I hadn't really worked at them. So I was kind of out of practice of actually sitting down and writing something from scratch with no, you know, with no canvas to work on. I thought for a couple of reasons that actually an anthology of short stories would work. It would also keep my name out there. And at the same time, I do have a new Alfred brewing, which I can tell you exclusively is called Sunday and Sons. It's Alfred Jones and the subtitle is Sunday and Sons. And the other funny thing about that is that was also uh, inspired by a road sign. But in Spain, (laughs) I was out walking and I saw this hand-painted sign and it said Domingos and Hijos which I translated as Sunday and Sons. I thought, oh, my God, that's a sign in more ways than one. That's fate, that is. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I have to say I've already created the Sunday and Sons characters and I've written the chapter of the book that's got them and I do like them. I do like them. I think think they just fit nicely into the... Bob, I have a question. I'm not sure if it'll make it into the actual finished podcast because I don't know if it'll give too much away, but... When they overturned the contract, yeah. did that not make the Alfreds human to live a human life? Have they stayed immortal? This, for the second novel, yeah, yes. Because like, I thought if they, if they overturned it, then they would have an ordinary life, if you like, as, as humans and have a family or whatever, young Alfred and Amy, etc. And then yeah, they, you- they die at their normal time. Or would the contract mean that they're already 500 years over time, so they just fade out of existence? But if there's another Alfred and Sons, then I'm intrigued. Yeah, there there is another Alfred and Sons. And I, for for years, because I always thought there was going to be another Alfred, I had young, young Alfred, obviously, who was going to be the uh, Amy and young Alfred. And then latterly, I was going to have him dead because old Alfred had killed him uh, and one of the infants, but visiting for dinner. Uh, (laughs) But in the end, I kind of dropped all those ideas. So there is no young, young Alfred uh, in in the second book. And that was dropped, actually, the moment I saw Domingos and Hijos. So, yes, there, there is a second Alfred. I've got, I think, about four chapters of that down. 
You're not going to make us wait six years, are you? No, 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 no. <laughs> this this will be out next year. No, I can't can't wait. I can't do six years. This is what I want to do now. So I've got to I've got to set deadlines and I've got to yeah work to them. So for anybody that wants to find out about you, Bob, and about the new book that's up and coming, where can we find you online? Well, uh, bobsharp.co.uk. That's got all the news uh, actually in the and just in progress updating that site quite heavily, and that should be done this week. But you can sign up for a newsletter there. Uh, I do the occasional blog, which I will be increasing. In fact, I'll probably blog tomorrow. Now, that's a promise. Uh, so there will be a new blog up tomorrow, and I'll mention you guys. Yeah, and uh, obviously the, the book's on Amazon. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, Bob Sharp Author. I'm on Instagram, Bob Sharp Author. I'm so pleased that for once in my life, I actually got a project, and it might have took a while, but I sat down, I started it, and I finished it, and I did it, and it's it's hopefully going to re- lead to bigger things. Yes. Well, I, for one, am very glad you did. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute for pleasure. For yeah. us too, definitely. Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the second one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, I'm pleased you enjoyed the book. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time. It's much appreciated. It has been spellbinding for me because I enjoyed this book so much to meet Bob and learn all about what inspired the book and the way it was written and I can't believe it took so long to write it I fell in love with this book in the first chapter and there are some true gems written by indie authors and this is one of them and it's the primary reason we wanted to start this podcast in the first place you absolutely adore this book don't you yes I like it for me it took me a lot of getting into it because it was just so off the wall from what I would ordinarily normally read. There's some absolutely quirky, gruesome characters in this book. It is, it's a magical story. I've got to say that. Yeah. The characters were amazing. Some yes, of the, I love some of the characters. Well, what did you think I of had, the style of the writing? There's an awful lot of description in there. You don't have to have an imagination. You can get lost in Bob's imagination on this one. Oh, how perfectly put. I think that's brilliant. And he's got a real sing-song way about writing, hasn't he? He has. He does He does wax lyrical. Um, you know, there's little bits of, of things that I read, and there was something that got me, and I had to go back and read it again. And it was about the auditor talking about the faults with the vehicle. Yeah. You know, how, how would you absolutely know that there were 36,124 faults with the vehicle? <laughs> it's the auditor. It's his job yeah. to know this sort of thing. That's crazy. You know, the offside rear tire is two PSI below manufacturer's recommendations. Wow. <laughs> it, it was really weird. It took me a while to work out why it was written in bold. I might be a bit thick. And, and there are times when I, I am no a bit comment. dim. I know, and I'm like, well, why is it written in? But then, I, then the the penny dropped. Oh, he's bawling his head off at everybody. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not shouting, shouting. He just no. has this really booming, loud voice, and is never being told that it's too loud. So as soon as someone says to him, "Well, actually, you're shouting all the time. You need to talk quietly," then he instantly dropped it, and I thought it was hilarious because he then talked so quietly, no one could hear him. 
I tell you what made me laugh when young Alfred was counting the amount of times his dad had sworn and he only got two in 600 years. I don't you know, know I think how. if I think if I'd have been the dad of young Alfred, I think it would be two an hour, never mind two in 600 years. You think young Alfred was the difficult one? I suppose he was naive, as, as Bob was saying. He, he got this kind of naivety about him, which could be translated into a bit of a, a bimbling donut, really. Poor Alfred. I know. I'll tell you what it is about old Alfred, though. He's a bit of um, an idiot savant, if you like. So it's really, really thick, and he doesn't remember anything, and he repeats himself constantly, and he changes his mind at the drop of a hat. But he's got this unerring knowledge of reading the road when he's trundling hmm. along on their carriage, and he'll, he'll know where the corners are in the dead of night with a mist and a forest and a cliff and he'll, and he'll just tear along and his instincts are absolutely amazing. I guess that's 600 years of practice though, isn't it? Yeah, but wouldn't you think that I can see why he's forgetful as well because, you know, 600 years, I think I'd struggle to remember something I did 552 years ago. You struggle to remember something you did two minutes ago. That's true. But yes, it's an, an amazing book. It's an amazing story. Like I say, it's not the sort of thing that I would read. That's not to say I didn't like it because I did. Uh, and I think one of the things that I was glad about was, as I said before, I didn't need to have an imagination. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there because he is so descriptive. You can take him at his word without having to second guess anything at all. I found it so descriptive and it was like being in the book. Mm. Yeah. Being on the dark road, fleeing from the auditor. I don't know, because it was not like it was realism in any way, shape or form, really. But you still believed in it. Yeah, of course you do. because, And that's the, the, the mark of a good storyteller, the fact that you're, in, you're reading that book and you actually can believe that this is happening. Yeah, totally. Anyway, what have we got next week, Daisy? Let me tell you. So next week we are reviewing The Clockmaker, it was written by Kerry Williams and Drew Neary, and the synopsis reads a little bit like this. A gripping supernatural novel set in post-Blitz Scotland, the first of an upcoming series. No man in this world may boast of his might. He is awake in the morning and dead at night. Widowed in World War II, Annette and her young son face a completely different life as they exchange the devastation of post-Blitz London for the slow pace of a small village. The house they have inherited is old, its bones still settling, creaking noises in the dead of night and the murmur of scritch, scritch in the walls. Located outside the village of Loch Nagar, it's been empty for many years. The unfolding of how the clockmaker makes his plans, his meticulous preparations and macabre creations all builds up to a series of gruesome, horrific murders. These have just one end in view. His release from that which has held him captive for centuries. Not one for reading in bed then? I don't think so, no. And also, this will be the first time that we've interviewed two authors together. So it'd be really interesting to find out how that dynamic works. I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you again real soon. We have been Daisy Ray and April Berry. Come share your opinions about the podcast, our authors and their books on Instagram and Facebook at Bear Books Podcast.
or Twitter at BearBooksPod1. Submit your book for a possible future review to submissions at bearbooks.co.uk or if you've got any queries or any comments, email them to contact us at bearbooks.co.uk. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can find him on Instagram at dadnap.mp3. And if you like what we do here, subscribe and share. Thanks for listening. Thank you.